Welcome to Winging It Motown Radio, take two. <laughs> I'm your host, Jeff Hancock, joined by JJ, Kyle, and Lauren. This is the second time we've done this because I didn't hit record the first time, uh, but you didn't miss anything. And uh, how are you guys doing? Wings won. It's the second best night ever. Yeah. Uh, let's get right into it since we're recording this after the game. Uh Feels like they lost, but they won, and they got two points. And I know JJ's unhappy, so JJ, I'm starting with you. Uh, it's just such an ugly game. I don't know, like, previous iterations, uh, like, I know that that Caleb was talking about how this was just kind of a dumb, fun game, and there's uh, there's a lot of merit to that. It's, this, this is one of, those, one of those, like, hockeyist stupid, I can't believe I like this sport and I like this team. But that was kind of a reason why it was fun. That one wasn't. That one was just painful and infuriating. Um, the Red Wings finally got a multiple goal lead, and then they blew it again. Uh, I thought the refing was just getting frustratingly horrendous as, as we keep going along. The, the narrative refing where the team that's behind can do no wrong. Uh, and the team that's ahead, even though if they're outplaying the other team, uh, just can't catch a break. The Red Wings only got two power plays, and one of them only lasted 13 seconds, despite how much the Sabres were gooning up. And they took a lot of dives in that game, too. Like, I can't believe that the refs didn't start warning people. Because, um, like, even the uh, the power play in overtime that they got, that was a legitimate trip that, uh, that Nike was pulled on Evander Kane. But I thought Kane... Uh, also embellished it so and then Nyquist gets out of the box and he's got a good chance to break it into the Sabre zone and he gets hooked and there's no call and it comes back into the Red Wings zone and Cronwell gets interfered with and there's no call and it's just that, that's just well, I've already said it. it's it's infuriating it's bullshit that it keeps happening over and over and it's part of the reason and I don't want to blame this all on the refs but it is absolutely part of the reason why the Red Wings are having trouble holding leads, which is also making watching hockey less fun. Yeah, it was, uh, it was so, like, it's pretty much how, like, the Red Wings have been uh, over the course of a handful of games. It's just, you know, um, I'm thankful that they're scoring more than one goal, um, but the inability to hold a lead is getting not only infuriating, but uh, ever-growingly, like, more frustrating. Um, I don't know. I guess you could just say that, you know, two of those goals were on the power play. I think, what, they scored two power play goals? Is that all? Yeah. Yep. Yep, so two power play goals. Um, It was uh, very ugly, but at the same time, they dominated the game um, in terms of possession. Um. Like when I mean, it wasn't even close after the second or like like midway through the second period. It just it wasn't even nearly close. So I, I I'm 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 happy for that. But yeah, it's it's an ugly win, but um, it's a win. So I'm gonna just go ahead and take it for what it is. But I really hope they figured out the whole not blowing leads thing. Lauren, your thoughts? Yeah, pretty much. Same thing. It's frustrating. Um, you know, the giving up the goals in the, in the third, when you hope that the wings can hold the lead and, um, the refing obviously was just stupid again. Um, I hated that we went to overtime for what the, was it the fifth game in a row? Six out of seven. Yeah. I think it was like the fifth game in a row. I don't know. Whatever it was. I, hate overtime to begin with and to I just have it. to do that so many times in a row is not good for my heart I, um, and then of yeah. course we went to the shootout tonight too and I to, uh, I yeah. really love three on three um, oh I do too it's so much I love fun three on three. I hate Red Wings three on three <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that one was a little bit it sucked because they took, you know, took the penalty and 
Um, you know, they didn't really get a full chance at, you know, the three-on-three, three, which surprisingly they've been all right at. Um, but what matters is that this is the first shootout we've went to this season, and uh, you got a, you got someone's, you know, you had Mrazek step up big who made some, you know, some, some, some huge saves in the game and in shootout, and then you get Richards just come in and bury one. You know, you wish he'd do that in-game, but got to start somewhere. So Well, I guess I guess yeah, we would just be great. thankful that Howard wasn't in because he sucks <laughs> at shootouts, right? And you brought up Richards, and, you you know, you wish he scores in regulation, but part of the reason he may not have scored was he got bumped down to the fourth line right. uh, in the game. He was playing with Miller and Glenn Denning, uh, everyone's favorite, favorite whipping boys, mm-hmm. over the past 24 to 48 hours, it seems like. Not that it's not justified. Kind of a little bit of a line blender was in regards to the second and fourth line. Began Richards, Datsuk, Helm. Richards goes down. Polkanen comes up from the fourth line. Just your thoughts on Blaschel trying to change things up a little bit there. And I'm, I'm not sure I like either of those lines, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, going into the game, having Polkanen on the fourth line was unsettling. I don't like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he made the adjustment there, but I don't know. I uh, I thought that Darren Helm looked really good. Like, he looked really good tonight, but you just, like, you got to score a goal, dude. You you got to score. Like, but... Overtime for him was, was a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, he made he made some good chances for himself using his speed, but, you know, that's that's Darren Helm. He, he's always done that. What he can't do is score, you know. He's so that's, that's frustrating, but... Um, yeah, as far as the specific win, uh, line matchups go, I thought that the the Helm Datsu Polkman line once it got put together was really really good, and I thought that was a good mix up. Yeah, uh, because Brad Richards was not impressive in the first couple of periods. He uh, he just looked like he didn't have it. Uh, the best decisions he was making for the most part was when he was rushing up ice one on four, and the wings were trying to change behind him. He kept throwing. Uh, like he kept lobbing wristers into the, the glove to get whistles, and I thought that was a really smart decision. But, yeah, it'd be nice if he could score like that, like he did in the shootout during the game, but Brad Richards isn't getting breakaways in regular play. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I've, I've, I've been happy with him. I'm just, I'm not thrilled, but... I thought the the switch was good. I, I was actually worried that that switch was going to hurt the fourth line that had been doing fairly well at even as long as they weren't trying to protect a lead in the third period. Um, and that didn't really happen. I thought that Richards did well enough on, on that line. And although in fairness, it, it took Abdelkader to, uh, to finally set them up for a goal. Yeah. Big night for Abdelkader, which is, uh, which is great. Um, finally earned his contract. <laughs> yep. It's all earned now. Everything is good. Life is good. Two no. goals, assist, a fight. Good, yeah, the, good, uh, good the to old see him finally, hat trick. Finally get a few goals here. The, although the first one literally just hit him, what, in the chest and the chest, yeah. went over the goalie's head. Yeah, that was fun. But I feel like that game, like given the way that the Red Wings played um, offensively, should have been like, like the Red Wings probably should have scored seven goals easily. Um, just because Olmark, like, I don't know what kind of goalie he is. I don't know if he's good. Swedish. I know he's Swedish, <laughs> Jeff, thanks. Um, but I just, <laughs> I don't know, like, if, like, he's, like, an actual good goalie or not. I mean, he plays for Buffalo. Buffalo isn't a good team. They, they still aren't good. I, I don't know. But he made some uh, really, really, he made some really good saves. Uh, some saves where I was just like, you have to be kidding me. I know he did that to Datsuk at least once or twice. But uh, going, uh, branching off of Datsuk, he, uh, Datsuk didn't have, that line was really not good to start off. And then uh, Blaschel made the adjustment, and uh, it looked a lot better. I think the game might look a little bit different if Datsuk didn't have that rough start. Yeah, I was really concerned about the way Datsuk looked. Um not only in the start of the game, like he did warm up later, but uh, there were a lot of times where it was like he was not moving his feet. Like he was in good defensive position, like he always is, but 
where you would expect to see a more fired up Datsu come up and uh, and sneak up on people and steal pucks away from them. He wasn't really doing that. He was making sure that he was staying in good position, but he wasn't uh, he wasn't getting around people. He wasn't taking the puck from them. He wasn't throwing the body as much as he usually does. Like I'm, I was worried that I'm, I'm hoping it was just like an off night and not that he's you know that he's struggling with something or that he's just tired because he's you know he's in decline and enjoying watching him play is a bad idea so it's totally pointless yeah. um sorry for those that, that aren't aware of that that's a that's a direct shot at, at steve birch the fun killer on twitter <laughs> well actually you've mentioned Datsuk. you <laughs> thought had a little bit of an off night would you guys say peter Morazic had an off night i mean We've kind of discussed, or we've kind of, you know, internally just as a, as a blog chat with each other, maybe Mrazek separated himself a little bit from Howard, and maybe he was finally going to take that number one job, and then he lets in four goals tonight, two power play. Just just your thoughts on his game tonight overall. What you I mean, I'm not uh, upset about Mrazek's game. Like, I mean, he let in four goals. You don't want the guy to let in four goals. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of talk about that uh, the first of Andrew Kane on the two on one where he, he got sniped on the short side. Um, not real upset about that. That was yeah, it was a good like shot. The the, yeah, I didn't like the coverage on the two on one. Uh, I thought that Mrazek had to kind of um, to cheat a little bit, and like he got sniped by a really good shooter. So he was the thing about, yeah. The thing about that goal is that Mrazek was in a good position. He was square with the shooter, but the release on Kane's shot was like it was like it was like a cannon, and um, it yeah. froze Mrazek. He just he he didn't he couldn't act on his instinct, which is usually what he's really good at. It was just too quick. It just froze him, and it went in. And uh, you know, it's a save that you you know you think. Uh, more often than not, Mrazek will make. But um, anytime you have a goalie let in four goals, um, you know, that's not good. But I think tonight is one of those nights where it's like, you know, yeah, a goalie I mean, can be great, but he's not carried Previously, Mrazek let in a goal on the short side uh, because he was teasing the glove. I don't think he was teasing the glove this time. The second goal was a tipped-in point shot off a cleanly won face-off on a power play. I'm never, ever going to blame a goalie for that. Uh, third goal was a net front scramble where the backdoor defenseman, Jonathan Erickson, just kind of watched while his goalie was struggling. Yeah, that was bad. A puck cleared for him. And the fourth was like a, a triple or a double screen that, I mean, it's not through his five hole. It's one of those, like, I, I wish you had the force there and would have would have stopped that. But, like, and I don't want to make excuses for him. I don't think it was a very strong game, but... That is a game that I feel that uh, that I don't want to put on any blame on Mrazek for for how it went to overtime. I thought that they were all pretty key defensive breakdowns and some of those shots that just that just happened. I think if Jimmy Howard had had that game, he'd be getting crucified right now too. Yeah, he'd have gotten. Well, he would have lost it in the shootout, obviously. So <laughs> <laughs> probably would have never gotten to a shootout. Yeah, that Kane shot that hit the pipe and. That would have gone in. Uh, One thing with Buffalo, Jack Eichel, uh, we talk a lot about Dylan Larkin. Eichel, second overall pick, franchise player. Just what were your, just quickly, we don't have to get in depth because it's the other team, but just your thoughts, especially compared to his American counterpart on the Red Wings. I think they both had kind of a similar game, um, except I thought Larkin looked a lot better. Uh, and that's just, just bias, just because I think Eichel and Larkin are kind of the same player in many ways. Um, the only difference is that Larkin plays with better players, and Larkin is much faster than Eichel. And I think Larkin might have better he's better puck skills, I guess you could say. Um, but I think it was they, they both had kind of a similar game. Um, I don't know how many shots Larkin ended up with. The last time I checked, it was five. I think it might have ended up at being five, but um, five, yeah, yeah, which is you know really good. I think I think honestly, all of them came from like the first period. Um, after the first like first period, he came out and he looked really good, and then he just it looked like they kind of, um, yeah, just kind of blended blended in. Um, but yeah, Eichel's good. He's really really good. Um, 
but I don't think he's good enough to save that team. Bristolainen. Now that kid is good. That that Rasmus Bristolainen kid, that kid is good. He's a lot of fun. Of course, he was 31% today. He had like four assists. Not Eichel. Oh, was it? Bristolainen was 39%, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Did he have, did he have, what, was it four assists? Yeah, he had four assists. Uh, No, I agree about Eichel uh, and the the Larkin comparison where Larkin is faster. I think he's got uh, a little bit more uh, more puck skills. I think Eichel has the advantage in size. Like, he has a more NHL-ready body. Yeah, he Um, has a ridiculous reach. Like, he's got, like, the wingspan of a, I don't know, something big. An NBA player. An eagle. NBA players are bigger than Eagles. Shut up. <laughs> no, I mean I thought Eichel was was good. I thought you know, nothing nothing terribly special. Two shots on goal. He got to spend a lot more time on the ice in general and a lot more time on the power play. So, and good you know what? Yeah, I mean it might just be because I think Buffalo leans way more on Eichel than Detroit leans on Larkin. So yeah, uh, I mean that's that's obvious. So. <clears throat> You know, whatevs. They're good, but Larkin's better. And that's okay. Everybody just needs to accept that. One thing I won't accept, though, is blown leads. And I know the Wings did blow a lead tonight and then got the lead back in the shootout. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, str- I'm struggling <laughs> with my segue. <laughs> I was just going to say they blew a lot of leads last week. Is there anything you guys want to touch on from uh, – you know, the, the Bruins game, the Oilers game, the Panthers game, just, just since we last recorded the other three games. Normally we would have started off just recapping the week, but we had, there was the game yeah. uh, prior to recording this. So Honestly, I don't want to think about it. It's like I've thought about it so much, and it just gives me a headache. Um, and I, I think J.J. talked about this before, is that when the Red Wings have a lead and they're like in the third period, whether it's two goals or one goal, they play to score again, which you would think is a good thing. But in those situations, it's like you might, like if you have 10 minutes left in the first period and you're winning the game three to two, you might want to trap a little bit and you might want to, you know, not get so offensively risky. You might want to try and just start playing smart and go back to basics. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for them. And maybe that's not Blaschel's style. And maybe the team needs to learn to adapt to that style and, you know, score when, you know, when, when they have the chance. But um, I don't know. It's uh, certainly not helping that when these goals are scored, you have your bad players on the ice. Like, I was going to go on a huge rant tonight about Erickson on that one goal where he was just, like, hugging the post and just watched the goal go in. Um but I just saved myself the headache. Um, Jonathan Erickson is what he is. I thought he. I thought he's been actually really good as of late. Um, he's been smart. He hasn't really made those really dumb turnovers that you usually see a player like Brendan Smith make. So I don't know. I think that was. That's why I kind of like gave him a little bit of slack because he's been. Um, you know, he's been. He's been. He's been efficient. Um, in his role, which is just a one-dimensional defensive defenseman. Well, I actually missed... He even had um, assistance, oh. too. Sorry, go ahead, Lauren. He did. Oh, well, I don't know if we were moving on to the... Still, like, talking about the other games. Um, I actually missed the Edmonton game last week because of work, so I only got to see the um, Bruins and the Panthers games. So <laughs> that mm. was real fun, watching <laughs> two blown leads and two blown... Or, you know, two OT losses, too division opponents. So, and then we almost did it again tonight. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. definitely enjoyed the Bruins game. That was fun. Yeah. Did you, you like that? Was that your, was that your thing? <laughs> that was like getting kicked in the balls by everyone at work. Like I just stood there and they just, each one by one came in up to me and just kicked me in the balls <laughs> again and again and again and again. And then I had to produce a show with it as, like, my lead story. It was very fun. I I think the Panthers game probably pissed me off more than the Bruins game. Because it's not like, and I I said this on on Twitter after that game, it's not like we've never seen 
Jonas Gustafsson steal a game for a team that had no yeah. business being in that game in the first place. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Gustafsson is going to do that. He makes saves where, like, I have no idea how he does this. Um, exactly. You just have to, like, yeah. have to well, just, well, screw it. That that really sucks. But even Bruins fans know, like, you, the smart Bruins fans, you know, both of them know that that's it's just the way that shit goes that was a game early in the season against Carolina that we had no business being in uh that was actually I think the Sharks loss was that was our comeuppance for that so we're still owed one for that for the Bruins loss in a hockey sense I agree with you 100 percent in a personal sense it just sucked and everyone who had the chance to just like poke the bear Pun intended. Uh, took, uh, took took the chance at work, so so that was a great night. What did you drop shit on them when the Patriots lost them? Uh, no, I wasn't there, so uh, I, I would have though. Yeah, um, uh, the Bruins are, as I like to say, um, in a very professional way, um, big stinky flaming bags of ostrich shit. So <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to ask you guys about the the division right now. I mean, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm the host. Bad. Tough shit. Uh, Price is hurt again, so you know Montreal's got a, a nice. I guess as of the time I'm looking at the standings, I don't know who's still playing and what games are over and if it's been updated. Montreal's 11 points ahead of Detroit. Detroit's currently in second. Again, as of the time of recording, but you know Detroit second with 30 points. Ottawa 29, Boston 27, Florida 26, Tampa 25. You know, Boston's got a bunch of games in hand on Detroit and Ottawa and even Florida and Tampa. It's just kind of a clusterfuck. Uh, Are we going with the unofficial American Thanksgiving rule and just kind of expecting it to be an even dogfight the rest of the way? Well, I'll say this. I don't, um, barring, like, some complete batshit crazy you know event i don't think anybody's gonna catch montreal i think what would price getting hurt and maybe them not getting great goaltending be something batshit crazy no but the thing is is that this year they look to be like a little bit of a different team they don't need great goaltending they just need okay goaltending um i i like in that one condon guy and then whoever the hell they have takarski Tukarski, yeah. or was it Fukali? I don't know. I thought I saw something about him getting called up. But anyways, um, I don't think they need spectacular goaltending to remain where they're at. I mean, they've created a huge gap. Um, so unless the Red Wings go on an absolute tear, which they could, um, I mean, it, 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 they're not really, I don't know. When you look at games like tonight, you you, you say... Well, they dominated the game, and that's how it's been over the past few games. Um, so you want to think that maybe they're going to start getting on a tear here soon, but um, I don't know. I just don't think Montreal's going to be caught. Um, but I do think that it is not crazy to think that the Red Wings are very much in a spot where they could be the second team in the division. Um, and, you know, that's just that. I mean, it I just feel. seems like if it kind of stays this way the rest of the year, I mean, you're a three-game losing streak away from going second in the division to being three spots out of a wild card. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's close. I think that I think the Atlantic is starting to get better. Um, Florida is a good team. Um, Tampa's lurking, no? Tampa, They're going to uh, yeah, get better? I think they'll get better. I mean, they're, they're due for it. Um, but... I don't know. I just I think that the Red Wings are after how many games have we played? Twenty five. Five. So twenty five. I think that the Red Wings have shown us that, you know, given their really crappy start, um, they can certainly be a contender. Um just as long as they keep doing what they're doing. Um and when I say that I mean um, playing a strong puck possession game and maybe work out the kinks with uh, blowing all these leads. Yeah, I mean, their goaltending hasn't been that great. I mean, a, a, as it was to start, and, we, you know, that's regressed and that's to be expected, but um, 
you know, I think that they are in a good position to be a, you know, second in the division and, uh, you know, be a contender. I just, you know, the question, you know, the question begs to be asked if you're going to be in that position. Um, and this might not be the kind of question we want to get into tonight, but are you a buyer? And I don't think that you, I don't think that the Red Wings should be a buyer or a seller. I think they should just stay with the, we like our team thing this year. You're talking deadline trades. I mean, I mean, we might as well get into it now. You just, you, you buy Athanasiu and Yurko and, you know, yeah, barring exactly. any injuries. I mean, you're well, Yurko's no, never going to play ever Deadline acquisition. Which, okay. Like, I'm fine with that. He's an upgrade over Smith and Kindle. Who is? Quincy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Then we don't have to give him a first-round pick this time. We just have to activate him. Boom. Hallelujah. JJ, Lauren, you guys got anything to add? What, on trades? Just anything. Trades, oh. conference, oh, division, Brendan Smith, um, Kendall, <laughs> the weather. <laughs> uh, well, I do want to say at least we're not in the central anymore. Yeah, no That's kidding. Yeah. Scary. Brutal. That's brutal. Now that Dallas is like killing it, that, it just they, they just got that that division is just a shark tank. Cool. So we covered up covered pretty much all the bases in regards to the last week and then the Sabers game. So now I think it's time to talk about some prospects, and for that, I'm going to toss it to our prospects expert, Michelle. <laughs> After what seemed like an eternity of losing and bad news to start the season, the Griffins have now rattled off two perfect weeks going 6-0. and Last week, they beat the Iowa Wild 5-1, to then shut out the Milwaukee Admirals by a score of 6-0, ending the Admirals' 10-game win streak. And then on Saturday, they beat the Lake Erie Monsters 3-2 in overtime. After starting the season with only one wins in their first eight games, they've now won seven of their last nine games and are finally up to a 50% record with an 8-8 one record and 17 points, which currently puts them in sixth place out of eight teams in the Central Division. The good news is they're only three points back of the Charlotte Checkers and the Chicago Wolves, who sit in fourth and fifth place in the Central Division. In the two games last week that Tomas Yurko played down with the Griffins, the Griffins outscored their opponents 11-1. to Yurko was called back up to Detroit Saturday, and that's the game that the Griffins won 3-2 in overtime. It's also worth noting that they played all three of those games without the services of Anthony Mantha, who's still injured. Mantha sustained what I believe is a shoulder injury on November 20th in the fight with Stu Bickle. He's expected to return to the lineup hopefully this next weekend. Coach Nelson said that it wasn't serious, and if the last couple games had been really important games or playoff games, Mantha probably would have played. It's no coincidence that the Griffins' six-game winning streak started when Tomas Yurko was sent down. The nine points that he put up in five games puts him at fifth on the team in scoring and was a huge boost to the team. But it wasn't just him, and it wasn't just getting Andreas Athanasiu back from Detroit. Although those two players absolutely put on a clinic playing on the same line together, it was really beautiful to watch. There's still something else that's going on, and it's not that the team's just been relying on those two players. There are seven players who have put up a lot of points in the last five or so games, and it really is an indication that all offense has been a result of a team effort. Robbie Russo has six points in his last six games. Ryan Sproul has four points in his last five games. Mark Zengerly has six points in his last three games. The kid is on fire after being a healthy scratch. Andreas Athanasiu has seven points in his last five games, and that's after coming back down from Detroit. Mitch Callahan has seven points in his last five games. Andy Mealy has five points in his last three games, and Eric Tangrady has six points in his last five games. That top line of Mitch Callahan, Andy Mealy, and Mark Zangerly has combined for 16 points in their last three games. That's a whole lot of offense coming from your top line and players who you needed to step up big time. And thanks to more players contributing offensively, in the three games last week, the Griffins outscored their opponents 14-3, to picking up two regulation wins and an overtime win. And the Griffins now have their top two lines that are carrying a majority of the offense, which is a lot better than no lines, which is what they had to start the season. But they're also getting a lot of 
contributions from defense. Both Ryan Spruill and Robbie Russo are in the top 10 for scoring on the team. Spruill has 10 points in 17 games, and Russo has 7 points in 13 games. And just behind Russo sitting in 11th on the team is Xavier Willette with 6 I think one of the big components that really hurt the Griffins at the beginning of the season and caused them to lose so many games and just look so disjointed was actually psychological. Mitch Callahan scored the overtime winning goal on Saturday night, and in his post-game comments, he said something that kind of reinforced this thought that I've been having. When asked about if it was difficult for the team to adjust to a new coach, he said once the team had fully bought in, they could move forward and get going. And I do think that losing Blashill had a psychological impact on the players. And we've heard time and time again that he's a player's coach and the players love him. And I remember Landon Ferraro over the summer saying that, you know, Blashill was a coach that you would do anything for. And I think that there was such a bond between the coach and the players and that all the players bought in so completely and so wholeheartedly into what Blashill brought to the table and what he would ask them to do that it was more than a typical coach-player relationship. That's always been the feeling that I got. And I think that when the players lost that and you have somebody that comes in that's a little more hard-nosed, a little more business-like, who has a different idea of how to do things and he has a different idea of player usage and it's not the way things have done, I think there was a little bit of the players not buying in right away and almost feeling a little bit hurt, perhaps, uh, at losing Blashill and being thrown into something else. That I mean, it's been tough to lose Blashill in Grand Rapids, and I think it was very difficult for this team to lose Blashill and have Nelson come in. Not that he's a bad coach or anything, but it was just such, I think, such a drastic change that it took the players some time to accept it and be able to buy in and move on. Because I feel like that's what happened. And once they did that and they started playing as a team, as a unit, and really coming together and saying, okay, look, this is where we are. This is what we have to work with. We're just going to have to go out there and do it. I feel like that's when they really started winning. And now they're clicking. And even though they lost three of their five top scorers from last season, this team still has enough offensive threats that they're now starting to put the puck in the net the way they should have been all along. And the encouraging thing about all of this is that the Griffins still haven't reached their potential. There are still some players on this team that I'm looking for more from who haven't shown me what they can do and who haven't played up to their potential yet this year. I've already mentioned several of the players who have been very good in the last handful of games, but a player that I keep watching and keep needing more from is Tyler Bertuzzi. It's like he's in this funk. He hasn't been effective on the ice. He hasn't been the pesty net front guy that he was last year when he came in in the playoffs. He hasn't shown the offensive flair, and I really don't know why. He had the really stupid slew foot a few weeks ago against the Toronto Marlies. He was suspended for two games, came back and played a game, and then was a healthy scratch for a couple of games. Since coming back into the lineup due to the injuries of Anthony Mantha and Zach Nastasiak, he's playing on a line with Tomas Nosek and Danny Cleary. And that's a line that we need more from. Tomas Nosek has a lot of offensive ability. He's a very creative, skilled player. And he only has two assists this season. Now, for a good chunk of the season up till this point, he had been out there with Colin. Colin Campbell and Danny Cleary. That's not been a good line, and those are not good wingers to give him for an offensively skilled guy like he is. But with Tyler Bertuzzi on his other wing, both of those players have been a little bit lackluster, but they both have a lot of potential for offense if they could just get it going. That's going to give three forward lines that are really contributing to offense. I don't hold out a lot of hope for the fourth line. If the Griffins can get three lines rolling that are contributing on offense, they're really going to start to make up for some lost time. Ryan Sproul continues to play some great hockey and in addition to his four points in his last five games, he's also playing very well offensively and defensively. One of the changes that I've noticed in the Griffins power play is that the last few games they've been setting Ryan Sproul up in Timu Polkinen's sweet spot on the power play and feeding in the puck. Now he has a wicked cannon of a shot. It's not as accurate as Timo Polkinen's is, but he has the ability to get off just a rocket of a one-timer. And it's kind of cool to see them utilizing him in that position by the circles on the power play instead of sticking him back at the point. And I think this is something that it'll take him a little bit of time to get used to, but he's a right-handed shot. Why not set him up there? And he had, I think, one power play goal in the last three games, but he also had another one uh, that he took the shot from there and Mitch Callahan tipped it in. It's paying off dividends, and I like seeing Nelson put him in that position to succeed.
I also got to give a shout out to both Jared Coro and Tom McCollum. Last week, McCollum started in the 5-1 win and the 3-2 overtime win. So he allowed three goals on 72 shots. And then Jared Coro got the shutout with the 6-0 win against the Milwaukee Admirals. Both goalies played very well last week. If this team continues to play like a team and they continue to get offensive production from all areas of the team, there's not much that can stop these guys. And despite their terrible start, there still could be potential for a good playoff run. This week, they play two games, both at home, Friday night against the Chicago Wolves and Saturday night against the Lake Erie Monsters. Down in Toledo, the Walleye played three games last week. Friday night, they picked up a 4-1 win over Brampton. Saturday night, they had an overtime loss against Fort Wayne, 1-0. And Sunday, they picked up a 4-3 shootout win over the Kalamazoo Wings. Jake Patterson was in net for the one nothing overtime loss, and he made 30 saves. Unfortunately, his team just couldn't get him a single goal in support. In the three games, Merrick Tverden picked up two more goals and had nine shots on net. He leads the team in points with 16 in 16 games. Jake Patterson now has a 3-3-2 record with a 9.22 save percentage and a 2.6 goals against average. When Patterson was with Saginaw in the OHL, one of the things that always stood out to me about his stats was that he would face a crap ton of shots. When you'd look at his goal against average it might not stick out as stellar but then you look at how many shots he was faced and it was usually very high compared to the rest of the league so I find it a little bit amusing that he's played two fewer games in Toledo than Jeff Lurg for a total of eight and he's faced only seven fewer shots than Lurg has his 922 save percentage is a testament to that the walleye now have a 9-5 and 4 record with 22 points which puts them fifth in the eastern conference the good news is that's only six points off of the first place team Florida ever blades. In other prospect news, in the OHL, Vilisar Jarvi went without a point in his three games last week. He's now gone five games without a point and his offense is tapering off. His shots on goal are also down, although I'm not sure why. Hopefully this is just a little slump and he'll break out soon. In the QMJHL, Adam Marsh had three assists and one goal in two games last week and was the second star of the game in his three-assist game. He's sixth on his team in points, but tied for second in goals. Evgeny Svechnikov had two assists in three games last week and was 54.5% on face-offs. Over in the WHL, Joe Hicketts played two games last week, and in the second game of the week, he had a goal and an assist. He's second on his team in points, fifth in Western Hockey League assists, fifth in Western Hockey League power play assists, and first among defensemen in WHL points. When I watch games that Hicketts plays, I feel like he barely leaves the ice, so I was curious about his time on ice. Since the WHL doesn't make that public, I tried to do a little bit of timing on my own. During just the third period of the game last week, I timed whenever I could see that he was on the ice and came up with about ten and a half minutes worth in the third period. That's just over half, and that includes even strength, power play, and penalty kill. Given that pace, he must play close to half of the game. Obviously, that's going to vary from game to game, and sometimes he'll get stuck out on the ice for longer periods of time, or they'll have more power play or penalty kill or whatever the case may be. But that's still a lot of time for a defenseman to be playing, almost half the game. And it really does feel like he plays that much of the time on ice. Center Dominic Turgeon played two games last week as well, and in his first game of the week, he had a goal and two assists and was the first star of the game. He still leads his team in goals, points, power play goals with five, and shorthanded goals with one. In college hockey news, David Pope is in his second year at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, and this year his offense was off to a very slow start. Through his first ten games, he only had one assist. However, in his last three games, he picked up three goals and an assist for five points on the season. Over in Europe, center Axel Holmstrom continues his resurgence. After going his first 16 games without a goal and putting up eight assists, he now has three goals and three assists in his last seven games. Holmstrom's offense is really starting to take off, and he's finally getting rewarded for the good play that he's really had all season long. During an intermission interview after Holmstrom scored his third goal of the season, Patrick Bexel sent me this little nugget from a Holmstrom interview. Homer said, I've practiced a lot of shooting, and I have great help from the coaches. It's not really a problem until you get the chance and you don't believe you can score, so getting another now makes me believe more. I've talked and written about it quite a bit this season, but Axel Holmstrom is an absolutely lovable kid. He's so honest and thoughtful when it comes to answering questions like this, and he handles it with such poison grace. You'd never know that he was a 19-year-old kid, and he has this humor about him. It 
would be really difficult not to root for this kid. Sometimes it's easy to forget that he is playing in a men's league as a 19-year-old kid. And because of that, oftentimes when we look at the stats, it would be easy to see his and not think that he was doing that well. However, when you look at the stats for all the junior players who are playing in the Swedish Hockey League, Axel is actually second in points among junior players with 14. The first place junior player has 16. So despite his slow offense this season, he's still only two points away from the lead for junior players. He's also second among junior players in faceoffs at 52.2%. He's taken 205 of them. Funny enough, the first placed faceoff percentage among junior players is Christopher N, but he's only taken 70. Axel Holmstrom has taken by far the most. Another interesting tidbit is that Holmstrom has taken the second most defensive zone face-offs among junior players, which is just further evidence of how much he's trusted even to take defensive zone face-offs for his team. And among the junior players playing in the SHL, Axel Holmstrom has the most power play time on ice per game. There's one other European prospect that I haven't talked a lot about, and that's mostly because I've been confused about his situation and unable to get a lot of information. Center Alexander Kadikin was the Red Wings 2014 seventh round draft pick. I've only really been able to keep tabs on him from afar, and I've never really been able to watch him play very much. However, one of the things that always stood out to me coming through the box scores was that he wasn't getting very much playing time. There would be some games where he would have five minutes, four minutes, maybe a game where he'd have seven or eight, and then it would go right back down. He'd be getting three, four, five minutes a game. I reached out to Cerno Avery, or Snowflake Sheep as she's known on Twitter, and asked her for some insights since she covers KHL hockey. This is what she told me about Alexander Kadikin. He came to SK St. Petersburg early last season, and he couldn't crack the regular lineup. St. Petersburg is a very deep team, and they can afford to throw big money at big contract players, and those guys are going to play over younger players. She said he's kind of a mediocre player, but that he's a second or third line guy if all was fair, but he's been relegated to the fourth line or a healthy scratch because a combination of better players on the team and the team staunchly playing the older, more higher paid players above him. So I interpret that as he would be an average second or third line center. Not a superstar by any means, but also not a scrub. She likened Katykin coming into SK St. Petersburg to being like having a rookie come in and trying to crack the Blackhawks lineup. It can be done, but you'd have to be very, very good in order to make it. The last four games, he's actually been promoted to first-line center, centering none other than Ilya Kovalchuk. In these games, Katykin has flourished in this position. He's showing more skill, and it sounds like he's complementing that line very well. Since moving up, he has one goal and an assist, which accounts for two-thirds of his season production now. And in his last game, he also played 14 minutes and 13 seconds, which was a season-high time on ice for him. I get the impression that Katykin being relegated to the fourth line and not getting very many minutes has been a combination of him legitimately not being able to beat out better players and a little bit of not getting an actual fair shake or opportunity to prove what he can do. Kovalchuk assisted on Katykin's goal, and watching those two with a give-and-go coast-to-coast was really something pretty to see. I'm hoping that there's some chemistry between those two, and maybe Katykin will get a little bit more of an opportunity to show what he can do. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Oh, my God. Fox Detroit is so bad. <laughs> yeah, so you got to write that post. Bro. I know. I know I have to write it. That was cringeworthy this week. I was Johnny. Yeah, well, first off, Johnny Kane was just awful tonight, like fumbling over he everything. Was, he, he was, like, fumbling shit left and right. So that, like, made it exponentially worse. But, I sh- like, you all watched that second intermission? Let's talk about hypothetical made-up potential playoff seating that has no rumors whatsoever we're just pulling this out of our ass how about you fucking break down the period show us why the sabers scored (laughs) how did they score was that a good penalty like do a fucking video breakdown yeah i i you know what's funny is that you noticed the one thing that i noticed and that's that's like what's become a stock stock footage the larkin thing yeah They, they used it again They've used it, like, in four games. But they used it in intermission. Did like, they? they? I didn't catch it. Like, bumping back from, like, going from intermission to, like, the puck drop of the second or third period. They used the same thing again. I did not That lady has that. bought so much stuff. <laughs> now it's time for our weekly mailbag. And today, I'm going to send it to our resident mailman, Kyle. Am I the <laughs> resident mailman? Okay. Uh, you are now. You're, yeah. you're the Carl Malone of Wynn. Awesome. Love it. 
Um, okay, so first question is from App State, which uh, in his signature, it's hashtag Kyle hates Luke, which is very mean, but uh, hashtag everyone too, hates Luke now. Probably not too far from the truth. Okay, so MFK. Uh, if you don't know what MFK is, then go Google it. I'm not explaining it to you. Larkin, Tatar, or Nyquist. All right, so M. I'm going with with Larkin. Oh God, F. I'm going to go with Nyquist, and K. I'm going to go with Tatar. I, I like how you ask the question and you answer it first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's on me. I'm sorry. No, it's it's all good. Uh, I you, you're gonna marry Larkin. He's he's a good old Michigan boy. You're gonna kill Nyquist and you have to Tark. He's got he's got really good hands. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a great game tonight. God, he killed it tonight. He did a really good job. Like I was surprised. Like he looked like. If he could look like that every night, he'd be... You'd be effing him every night then. Oh, yeah. I would be genuine pony playing in my room. I did Bow. I did also purchase my Bow. Tatar Stadium Bow. Series jersey, Bow. so... Did you? He is... Uh, Good for he, you. He scored just for me. Lauren, why don't you go ahead and do the MFK? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Larkin. Got to marry him. Got to lock him up long term. Mm-hmm. Keep him around. Um Okay, I'm going to have to go with Nyquist because he's the oldest of the three, so he's the soonest oh. to declining. Wow. So, you know, Cold no use. <laughs> no, right, because we're not supposed to get excited about people who are going to decline or whatever. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that leaves F for Tatar. Yeah. Okay. So. Plus, it's his birthday today. Oh, Yeah. A little bit of the birthday stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, JJ, do you want to do it, or are you? Uh, Jeff is right. Um, Nyquist is the guy, like, you could kill, yes. and it would be, like, he'd be like, well, okay, I can understand. It's okay. I forgive you. So, okay. yeah. Right. And you got and the F-star, because the hands thing. Perfect. Yeah, the hands thing, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm right, and you guys are wrong. Anyways. Um, from our sizzle, what aspects of our power play do you think needs to be changed? Uh, he gives examples. He or she gives examples. I'm sorry. Style personnel, uh, assistant coaches. I have a little bit of a opinion on this. So I'll let you guys go first. I wish we'd uh, see more. Apparently we need to let Justin Ablicator snipe it from a slot more. <laughs> maybe, maybe not do this whole net front thing because it doesn't really yeah. work. I would like to see more Polkanen. I mean, I know he's out there kind of already, but do make a more of an effort to consistently feed him the puck. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good idea, but he needs to find, he needs to get into the right spot and right. find that space, and that's on him. Um, but it's also on the system to give him that space. Lauren? Um, I think part of it is um, kind of the personnel. I know, like, with you said, we should maybe kind of move away from the net front thing. Um mm-hmm. I mean, Larkin, we all know how fast he is. It's ridiculous. And having him stationary in the middle of the ice doesn't really right. utilize that's, yeah, that's a good that point. advantage. Uh, that's and, a good point. Um, and then when you also, you know, you have Abby in this, you know, in, in the old Holmstrom spot, you know, he's supposed to be screening the goalie. I know we've kind of talked about this um, kind of as a group. It He doesn't do, like, he doesn't screen so much as he blocks goals that like, or, you know, shots that could have been going in. Like he's in the spot to block them rather than screen the goalie mm-hmm. to actually let them go by. And so like that, I, I don't even know. We only saw one power play tonight. We didn't even see, are they still even doing that on most power plays? I mean, Larkin's starting to get PK work in practice and yeah, trying to move um, him off power play. It seems like, but yeah, I'm not sure. It was it, we didn't really get a good sh- look at the uh, the power play tonight um, mm-hmm. because they had two chances, one of which was very, very, very limited. Like time. Thirteen seconds. Yeah, it was like tiny. So it didn't. Mm-hmm. It, it usually takes them about a solid minute and a half to get set up. So um, right. just because of how they are running. Um, it, I, and I'm sorry, our sizzle also had asked about the new players that could be on the PK and what we think about it. Um, those players being Larkin and Yurko. Um, and I think we all would agree that that's a good thing. I think that Larkin should be 
seeing minutes in all situations. Um, Yurko, I mean, I guess. It, it helps him yeah. for ice time. It gives him more ice time. That's fine. I mean, with Larkin, I, I, he, we know he can play a two-way game. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw a young Datsukin Zetterberg kill penalties way back in the day. It, 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 you know, you see guys like Taves, and I'm not saying he's Taves, but if he becomes that type of two-way player or a Bergeron who can kill penalties but also score some goals. Right. You know, I'd love that if that's, like, where Larkin's headed. Mm-hmm. And it, in the grand scheme of things, those guys killing penalties and being good at it means there's less of a reason to keep around a Glendening and a Miller, and you can roll four fucking good lines. Yeah. Um, I think Larkin is more useful on the penalty kill than he is on the power play. That's just me because of his speed, because of his senses. I mean, all his goals are even strength. So yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's not a power play whiz. So um, now on to what I think about the power play, and this is just me per- personally opin- personal opinion here. Um, I think that Fershweiler needs a good talking to, um, or at least needs some consulting, um, possibly. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it hasn't worked. I mean, you come from what it was last year into what it is now. Um, the team is, the personnel right now is better than what it was last year. Um, so there's no excuse. So that leads me to believe that it's a systematics thing. Um, so I think that Fershweiler, like, Blashill needs to go to Fershweiler and say, this isn't working. What do we need to do to make it work? And if you can't figure it out, then I'll figure it out. If I can't figure it out, well, then maybe it's time that we find somebody else to run the power play. Um, and I, I admittedly don't know very much about Fershweiler, but all I know is that so far the power play has been bad, and he's the guy in charge of it. So he's not doing a job, his job. Um, yeah, systematically what I don't like about the power play. Um, I mean, their zone entries have gotten better. But I don't like how much of it they are running from the sidewall and trying to run up to the points to get, like, blasted shots in through screens. Um, Because it's just not working. Those shots aren't getting through. They're not creating. They're not getting – they're not bouncing to areas where there are people looking for rebounds. I think there are people that are not looking for rebounds. When the guys are coming off the half wall, coming into the circles from the sides – when they do create shots off of that, I think they're trying to pick corners a little bit too pretty instead of putting pucks on net and just letting uh, havoc happen in front of the net. Um, Polkinen is really the only guy, and I mean, he's not doing it fantastically, but who is really, really bringing it. I mean, you can see hints of it in in green, too. Um, yeah. Cronwell's got a, a kind of a bad habit of, of missing a lot. Um, and, like, I'm not sold on Cronwall keeping the blue line. Like, I I don't know if I necessarily want to take him off the power play, but both he and Zetterberg are making a lot of uncharacteristic puck-handling mistakes on a power play that is currently too focused on passing. And so if you yeah, can't I control agree. the puck and if you're not doing passing too well, then it's it's not working. Um, yeah. You, know, it, you can't pass the puck into the net but you can shoot it off the goalie and, and get a guy there. So I think they need to do a little bit more crease crashing um, and a little bit less trying to set up the perfect uh, lidstrom Rafalski shooting with Holmstrom in front kind of power play mm-hmm. uh, because those aren't the guys they have on the ice anymore. Right. Uh, with you on that, JJ, let's move to the next question. Um, this is from... Hey, Stengi, um, this is not, let's not spend too much on this, uh, this, this question. Um, assuming Mrazic is sliding into our 1A role and people keep saying you can't pay a backup what Howard is making, yes, you can, um, who, are some possible, who are some possible teams that need a starting goalie and who slash what could we get slash want from them in a trade? I'm going to go ahead and cut it off right now and say we're not going to trade Howard. Not this year. Maybe in the offseason. Maybe. I mean, I still think that's too early. I mean, if I you're going to trade him, if you're going to trade Howard, if you're going to trade a starting goalie like Howard, who is a good goalie, 
don't care what anybody says. Um, first round pick. Edmonton needs a starting goalie. They do. And I would go to them right now and say, you want to start? Like, if, if Edmonton came to you us. You just said like, you're not going to trade him. Now you're going no, to him right listen now. To, listen to me. Like, let me finish, bro. <laughs> you just bro me? I just bro you, and I will bro you again if I have to. Just get on with it. If Edmonton came to you, us right now and said, we will give you our first round pick this year for your starting goalie, do you do it? Well, yeah, it's going to be a top five pick. Exactly. So shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would have to be a, a, a stupid kind of trade, and I don't think there are any teams that are uh, that are that right. desperate. So um, I just want to real quick touch on the concept of you can't pay a backup what Howard is making. I don't give a shit. We're basically paying $6 million for a goaltending right now. Right. That is well within reason. So I don't care which one is the backup and which one is the starter. Uh, I think our, our goaltending via cap situation is good right now. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Mrazek's going to get an extension after this year, but he's not going to make – I don't think – they're not going to sign him to a monster contract. Um I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. We, who knows after the applicator signing? But um, I think whatever Mrazek gets, he's worth it. So as long as it's not like six, five, four, four, five, six million dollars a year. Um, but moving on to the next question, um, who do we see in the Red Wings lineup in five years? Um, Cleary. Basically, <laughs> um, and this is just prospects, basically, like players that are in the system right now. Who do we see in the lineup? Uh, I'll go ahead and take the lead on this one. Um, you know, you see guys like Larkin, obviously. Um, you see Svechnikov. You see guys like, hopefully, like Hicketts or Sarge Um And then, yeah, in turn, yeah, the tiny pairs. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously, okay. you'll see the Athletic CU. Uh, who knows if Yurko, who knows where the hell he's going to end up. Luke Lindenning. Um, probably, yeah. Um, Xavier He'll Ouellette. be a veteran presence by then. Yep, Ouellette, Marchenko. Um, Captain Applicator. Captain Abby. Uh, Zetterberg will still be around in five years, right? Uh, he'll be prongered by then. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Franzen going to make his comeback? Nope. <laughs> um, Mrazek. Helm's and gone. Then, and then you'll see... Uh, um, Tatar, Nyqu- Nyquist. Like Nyquist, Tatar, obviously, they'll be around, I think. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. That's a quick one. I think we all agree. Eric Carlson. Yeah. Trade deadline acquisition, Drew Miller. Yes. Um, okay, from Master Moj, uh, where do you see us finishing in the stands at season's end? Uh, I kind of already touched on that earlier in the podcast. I think they, I think they're on um, their ceiling is number two uh, in the division. Um, just because I don't know if they can catch Montreal. Um, and that's where I stand. I think their ceiling is number two right now. Uh, their <laughs> floor is the bottom of the division. I don't know. Top seed. Yeah, maybe. I think they've got a real – I'm real, real confident in them making the playoffs. I'm not as confident in them starting the playoffs at home. Um I kind of don't care who, like, the first-round matchup would be right now, but I know it's probably just going to be, like, the team that I want to face the absolute least. Um, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, they've got they've got a lot of gelling yet to do, and it's only early December, so we'll yeah. see. There's a lot of time left. The stretch. There's a lot of time left for things to get better. There's a lot of time left for things to get worse. We'll see. Um. From uh, T. Marintet. T. Marintet. Um, the uh, headline on this is Ryan Johansson, so you already know where this is going. Um, no. Essentially, they ask, um, what do you think it would take for the, Ryan, the Red Wings to get Ryan Johansson out of Columbus? Uh, do you think a guy like Nyquist and a prospect could, and a per- potentially a first round would do it? Uh, no, I don't think that would do it. No. And even if it did do it, you don't do it. So, do we all agree on that? Larkin's better than him anyway. <laughs> well, they already said that Larkin... I don't know. If you, if you could get Ryan Johansson for Nyquist on a first-round pick, I'd probably pull the trigger on that. I just don't think it is realistic to think you could do that. No, I don't think that they're going to actually trade him because that would be idiotic. 
and I think that they're a little bit smarter of a team than that. Um, you got to give yeah. the Ryan Johansson thing like time, like for him to really get tired of Tortorella. It's not going to happen this year. Yeah, it's next year he demands out. He might, he might, yeah, he might blow a lid and just go fuck this guy. I'm out. Um, yeah. And I mean, and if that happens, the Red Wings aren't going to be the only team trying to trade for him. So, um, if it was between, if it was Nyquist and a first round pick, sure. Uh, if it was Nyquist, a prospect and a first round pick, depends on what prospect it is. Anyways. Yeah, let's throw in Jacob, Jacob Kindle while we're at it. Sure. And the third. Sweet the third round. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this one is from Nazaro, 33. Essentially what they're asking, I'm just going to read the comment verbatim. Since I'm doing this on the fly, since JJ couldn't do the, the questions and he knows them better than I do, uh, to blame the refs for game outcomes. Uh, it's usually frowned upon to blame refs for out game outcomes. But seriously, how fucked up were the Wings past few games? I thought the Panthers game was ridiculous and somehow the refs could prove me wrong by doing it worse against Buffalo. Do you think we're giving excuses or does the officiating also factor into these blown leads? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that you are not wrong. The officiating has been exponentially awful this season. Um, it It just seems like there's always just ridiculous calls. Um, I don't know if we're giving excuses. I don't know if the, I, I can't. I don't know if I can really say that these penalties are a culprit of the blown leads, but um, it certainly throws a little bit of salt on the wound for me. Um, but then again, I'm not the kind of person that really likes to to gripe about officiating when you're blowing leads consistently over a five-game stretch. So. Hey, the refs The refs didn't decide to put Luke Glendening on the ice for the uh, for the final few minutes or whatever it was of the third period where the Wings gave up the all those tying goals. So don't blame the refs. JJ, refs I know you have suck all around. JJ, I know you have a lot of opinions on this. I want to hear your take on it. Uh, it's basically the same thing I said at the outset of the show talking about this game. Mm. <laughs> is that I think... The narrative refing that game management, the team that is behind is, I mean, it's understandable because the team that's behind usually gets more shots and so they'll, they'll get more calls. But that's not the way the Red Wings are playing with the lead. They're still um, out shooting teams even when they're trying to hold leads. They're just they're not earning the calls that they that they should be getting and they're getting some weak shit called against them. And it it does it's like I said I can't directly put that on there because I mean in this. The game against Buffalo, obviously, they allowed two power play goals um, on, I mean, the abdicator penalty was a good call. Uh, the, uh, shit, who was the guy who took the penalty that they tied it on? That was the... Um, Smith? Oh, no, that was that was the abdicator one because that was at the end of the period, I think. Yeah, it was Smith, yeah. though, when he defended that was, Zetterberg. That was before... Gotcha. No, yeah, that was their first. That was, the, that, was that first goal. Yeah, yeah, Smith defending Zetterberg was a batshit awful. Needs to be addressed by the league. Maybe one of the worst kind of things that could could happen. Because um, looking at that play, Kane slashes Zetterberg. Zetterberg gives up. Gives him a little bit of a chop in the ribs, and then Kane, who is way bigger than Zetterberg, starts like throwing down at the guy, and Smith comes in to separate them. Like. I don't know why in the hell Smith got a penalty and Abdul and Zetterberg got a penalty and Kane only got one penalty. That should have at least been even. And basically what the refs did there was say, well, go ahead and fucking rough guys up because you're going to get a, pe- a power play out of this. Um, yeah. That was yeah. The, the worst thing of, of the whole game. The applicator penalty was a good call. Uh, like I said, the Gustav Nyquist penalty in, in overtime, that, that's a call you've got to make. Um, I thought the refs missed a lot of dives. I thought that they, the fact that, or I thought that the refs had an opportunity to warn them and say, "Hey, you guys have got to cut this shit out, or we're going to we're going to start calling it." Um, went largely unheeded. They went down over a lot of sticks really, really easy, and I thought that was really disgusting. So yeah, I, I think that the the roughing in the Buffalo game definitely helped Buffalo catch up. Um, I thought the Florida game was, was badly officiated. Even though some of this stuff doesn't directly lead to it, it changes the outcome of the game. And I, I'm sure it frustrates the Red Wings, too. 
and I know, you know you're professionals. You got to get over it. Whatever. It, it doesn't make it right. So, yeah. Ultimately, fuck the refs and and the way they're calling games this season. You all sound like whiny Patriots fans. That's what we are. Uh, <laughs> all right. So real quick, we'll go through this. Looking ahead, the the upcoming week, just two games until in theory we record again. Thursday, home versus Phoenix. Or excuse me, Arizona. And Saturday, home versus Nashville. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I will be at the Nashville game, so they better win that one. Woo! Yay! It's my first game this year, so I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. Um, I think I'm kind of hoping for another one of those games that they had last year against the Predators where they, like, scored three goals in, like, 12 minutes or whatever it was and chased the goalie. Um, that game? Huh? Oh, yeah, that's that you guys were at that game. Good stuff. Um, Arizona. Because they had that stupid game against them last year. So, I'm, uh, I don't know. And they've got Domi, right? Yeah. The Domi, yeah. Um, yeah, so we got another, you know, Young Guns matchup there. Um I don't know. I say we take four points this week for the rest of the week, but maybe that—that's maybe my just my wishful thinking coming through. Kyle, um, I think they uh, whoop on uh, Nashville just because they have done it that way for a while, um, and I think Arizona comes in and they smoke them. JJ. Uh, it's two Western Conference teams. That's two uh, games that go to overtime. Uh, wings pull three points out of it. I was going to say two overtime losses. Uh, you guys have any final hockey-related thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah. Uh, stop blowing leads. God damn it. Fair enough. Um, I didn't realize until just today that uh, our best case for Justin Abdelkader is that he essentially becomes the next Shane Doan, and that makes me throw up in my mouth. <laughs> I'd now be, that you bring that up, I'd be thrilled so, with that. That is like, ooh man, that's ooh, gross. That's so accurate, though. <laughs> right? It, ooh, what's worse, being Shane Doan or a poor man's Shane Doan? Being he, Shane Doan. The, being Shane Doan. Does the poor man's Shane Doan take all this stupid, like, make this shitty plays that he makes all the time? Yeah. On the ice. Yes, he basically Abdicator is going to be the poor man Shane Doan because he's from America and not Canada, and so he's not going to get that. Oh my God, he's good old a Canadian guy. boy. He's pure class. He's not going to get that shit. It's going to be like, oh, he's he's the, he's a dirty guy. Lauren, you got yeah. anything? Um, win for me on Saturday, Red Wings. I yes. think win for Lauren. I agree with yeah. that, and win for the rest of us too. Don't just win for her. <laughs> Cool. Then for JJ and Kyle and Lauren, I'm Jeff. It's been Winging It Motown Radio. Hey, guys. Love you. See ya. Winging It. I'm Winging It Motown.